What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 227 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening in our traditional time slot, and joining me as often, the great Eric Cole is here. Hello, sir. Brad, I want to know what it's like to not have a Twitter account and not have to deal with, you know, the constant notifications, because <laughs> it's kind of uh, it's kind of wild to me that you're, like, somehow surviving without this, even though I wish I could. Yeah, for people that don't know this, uh, I'm I'm on day five now of not having a Twitter account, uh, because during the Twitter hack, uh, something happened to various verified Twitter accounts, and uh, I made the cardinal sin of... As everyone, I think, probably thought, at least to do, uh, when there was a hack, I thought, you know, what's a good idea right now? I should, I should change my password. Um, and I have two-factor two factor authentication already on my thing. I have to do extra stuff because I'm verified, etc. So I changed my password. Everything was fine uh, for like five hours. And then suddenly I got kicked out and couldn't get back in. So I've had no Twitter account. Granted, I do have access to other accounts. Like I have one for my Locked on Hawks podcast. I have access to the Peachtree Hoops Twitter account, but uh, in terms of my own stuff, you uh, talked about notifications. I'm kind of dying slowly, not being able to know what's going on. I have Twitter very much curated for me. Um, it's where I get most of my news. All this kind of stuff uh, is just gone for me, and it's kind of bizarre. Uh, I can still look at Twitter. I can still access Twitter, but all of the stuff that I have set up to help me, uh, even for this podcast in preparation, I have a Braves list that I can't look at right now. So it's kind of just strange altogether. But yes, there is, I guess, a little bit of upside, and that I can at least potentially avoid some of the landmines that come along with Twitter. So pros and cons. I would say more cons. But, Free uh, Brad Roland. Free yeah. Brad Roland. It's Hashtag. Sunday night, and I'm still... Uh, without a Twitter account. So when you see this go up, uh, I don't think it's going to go on my Twitter account. Actually, it's a good test for me because when I post this podcast via Talking Chop, oh, um, yeah. there's, an auto, there's an auto post that goes up to my, uh, to my own feed. Now, I don't think it's going to happen, but I have not tried to post anything like that because at Peace Tree Hoops, I don't have that set up. So um, that'll be the first time that maybe there's a way it'll go up, but I doubt it. Just if you're wondering where I've been, I'm I'm suspended or some of some sort on on Twitter, even though it looks like everything's fine. I just I just can't tweet, Eric. It's no fun. Uh, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird thing. Unfortunately, they probably think that since you you changed the password, that they're you, you know, that you Brad no longer have control over your account because you you know did the right thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of wild. Very much so. But anyway, uh, there was lots of Braves news, so we'll. Uh, we, we, we spent three, three minutes on my Twitter account, which is way too much time. Um, lots of Braves news this week. You know, Scott and I reacted in swift fashion to the Yasiel Puig news early in the week. Um, I did throw in the caveat that it was not official at that point in time. He had to pass a physical, and at the end of the day, he did not do that. Uh, Yasiel Puig tested positive for COVID-19. That was announced on Friday. Um, he is asymptomatic at this point in time, but in order to pass, sort of in order to play uh, for any baseball team, uh, Braves or otherwise, he has to pass two tests in order to be cleared. And uh, at that moment in time, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported that he, that he will, quote, not be signing with the Braves, end quote. That was then echoed by other, by other people. And uh, I will say this, there's no reason that he could not sign with the Braves. He's allowed to, but at the same time, it seems like that's not going to happen uh, in part because I'm sure that they're not sure when he's going to be able to play and he was more of a stopgap stop gap. Um, option in the first place. I don't know. What was your reaction here? Obviously, there was there was some, there was some surprise along the way, 
But at the same time, when it was not official for a couple days, it got a little bit funny. I was like wondering why they hadn't talked about it officially. And uh, this is the reason why is that he's probably not going to be on the team. Yeah, and I did see some reporting from Tim Brown from Yahoo that said that, you know, the the word was is that they had reached an agreement, but that Puig kind of freely acknowledged that he had been exposed to someone that did test positive. So he was going to get tested like down in Miami, uh, which kind of does go against the whole, you know, did he actually ever go to the battery type thing uh, based on, you know, some quote unquote reporting that was done by some Braves fans that were in the battery area. Uh, but that he got tested in Miami and that the test came back positive and that that because the Braves knew that that was a possibility they were really like they were keeping this extra quiet and kind of telling reporters hey you know this isn't a done deal yet and there's a good reason to think it might not be a done deal type of thing um, obviously this stinks because we, we've talked about it a few times on this podcast is that you know the Braves against righties they just need some they, they it feels like they just need some more quality bats and then line up now it helps that Freddie is you know seemingly back and seemingly healthy or certainly healthier than he was. Um, that obviously helps that, that whole situation. But when you have a guy like Puig who you can kind of put in the middle of your lineup and who hits righties really well, um, can be, you know, can be rotated in and out of that DH spot along with a few of those guys. He, the signing made the Braves better. It's just, you know, full stop. The team was better with him on it. Now I'm, I, I'm sure that the, the way the Braves are talking about this, that they, he is not signing with the team is, is more of a, you know, everything that they talked about and agreed to is no longer on the table because yep. they, they can't even have that conversation now until they know what his health is going to look like once he is negative and when he is going to be negative. Because, you know, there are some guys like Will Smith is a good example. Apparently he's asymptomatic and he hasn't been able to get be able to get two negative tests in a row for a long time. And then there's other guys who tested positive and were actually sick, but they recovered and bounced back and tested negative pretty quickly. So, we just don't know. I mean, if it's a matter of several weeks until he can get a negative test, then you're talking about several weeks before you can even start getting the guy ramped up. And in a 60-game season, how do you? You mean how much of a value are you even getting for a guy at that point? So, you know, I guess the short answer is I think it really stinks. I certainly agree with you that I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he is just not going to be a brave. But the timing of it was particularly bad considering how these protocols and how this and how this virus operates is that you know it doesn't take a particularly extreme case here for it just to not make much sense to sign him anymore yeah i think that's important that we just acknowledge that they, they still could sign him it's not the, the door's not closed but the timing that you bring up there is is a good point and this is someone obviously position players take a little bit shorter of a time to get ramped up and get ready to play but if the whole point was to kind of plug a uh a hole on your roster, um, even if everything went perfectly from this point forward for Yasiel Puig, he wasn't going to be ready for the start of the season, and we don't know how long it was going to be. So, yeah, if he's suddenly healthy and passed his tests, and um, maybe there's a dialogue going on there, we, we don't know that at this point in time, but for now, we'll assume he's not going to come, um, even if he still could along the way here. So, yeah, like you said, the, the team was better. We uh, both said that, Scott and I, on the on the emergency show about Puig. Uh, I thought that move made a lot of sense. You and I even alluded to it on the previous show. Yeah, um, we called it. Kind of as an idea. I mean, again, I thought it was going to be unlikely at that point, so I was wrong about that, I guess. But it's just interesting. I think he would have made the team better. He was the best player available on the market that was just a free agent anyway. Uh, but now we look ahead. It seems like, at least public-facing comments, the Braves are willing to just go in with what, with what they have now. Part of that's that they had no choice in some respects. Like, making a trade may not be super easy, and uh, the free agent options are not fantastic. So for now, we kind of have to assume 
the season starts in a few days. Um, they're going to go with what they have now. And that kind of brings up the same questions that we had previously about the lineup and the options. Because, you know, against right-handers specifically, they don't really have great options outside of a couple. Um, we talked about this a lot in the last show, so I don't want to do too much on it. But we should talk about what they're going to do, especially against righties, because... You know, there's a lot more right-handed pitchers in the National League East, especially, than there are left-handed pitchers. And uh, we know about Ronald Acuna, obviously. We know about Mar- Marcelo Zuna, either in a corner spot or at DH. And then I think Ender Enciarte makes a lot of sense against right-handed pitching. But granted, they have to fill a, a fourth spot because of the DH. And there really isn't another player on the roster that is specifically suited to hitting right-handed pitching. So I ask you this. If they open the season against a right-handed pitcher, which four guys are you using? I think it's, I think for me, it's those three, but who, who is the fourth that's either going to be playing a core outfield spot or at DH? Um, it's a tough call for me. I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, tried a few different options there, including Camargo. Uh, I could see, I could even see them giving, like giving Riley a shot at it. It got a lot of this depends on what, how guys look in camp too. Um, the, the, the biggest thing for the Braves truthfully against right-handed pitches or what the two switch hitters on the roster do. If Ozzy's swing from the left side makes progress, because we know what he looks like when he's batting from the right side against lefties, <laughs> yes. right? Like he's, you know, like legitimately like probably one of the better players against left-handed pitch, pitching in the league. But if he can get his swing from the left side, you know, looking better and more productive, then all of a sudden kind of who you're using in that DH spot matters a little less. For like, you know, the, the Braves, for example, they selected the contract of, yonder alonzo mostly just to, seems like to protect against you know freddie getting you know getting sick or missing any time from not being able to get ready in time but you know maybe you start kind of thinking about you know like lesser known bats like that if you're going to have getting more production from these switch hitters uh camargo is kind of the same way is that you know sometimes he looks okay behind the le- from the left side of the plate but he looks a lot better from the right side so I guess the short answer is I don't I don't think there's like one this is going to be the guy that's going to be using the situation I think they're going to yeah. try a lot of different options, um and kind of see what works and what doesn't uh, again against righties it's going to be a little bit tricky uh, and a little bit of kind of trial and error because you're right there's not a guy that's like you know here's your left-handed bat that matches righties, um and I think that you know there's just not a lot of options out in there on the market right now although I guess you know I guess Matt Adams is out there now but yes you know, he I'm is sure, Matt yeah. Adams it's time bring uh, him know, home <laughs> that, that'd be so funny if they signed him again but, I mean they uh, should honestly I'm, no, I'm, not, no, I'm kind of being funny but they should he, he, he is not he would not be a bad option I imagine given with expanded rosters that his phone is ringing quite a bit today over the last couple uh, since he got released so no, he, uh, he should. And uh, honestly, I mean, to your to your point about just kind of using everybody, I think that's the right answer. Uh, broadly speaking, there is there doesn't have to be one lineup and one group of players that you're, that you're always using. And that's a good point that you're making. And obviously, you, know, you have these two guys playing third base, um, Austin Riley and Jan Camargo. You could just use both of them, especially if they're both playing well. Um, you could be using Riley as a DH occasionally, or you could be doing whatever you want to do. There's some flexibility there. Um and, you know, there are other options. Yonder Alonso, you mentioned him. He's on the 40 men now. Um, you know, I don't think he's probably going to be very good. He was pretty bad in Chicago last year, but he was pretty good in Colorado in a small sample size. And because of the DH spot, in addition to Freddie Insurance, which, which I think I agree with you, that's probably why he was signed or at least added to the 40 men. 
I think there is a world in which it makes sense to have Yonder Alonso as a DH against right-handed pitching. Um, they know more about him right now than I do. Um, the numbers recently have not been great, but he's a career uh, above average hitter against right-handed pitching. He was pretty good against righties in 2017 and 2018. Um, he might be washed. That's on the table. He's in his 30s and isn't a great player. But if all you ask him to do is hit righties, there might be some value in that too. And then you get into Culberson, um, you know, they're, they're, against lefties, it's pretty easy. You just play Adam Duvall and make it a little bit easier with Riley and Camargo both being stronger on that on that side of the plate. Yeah, I was, but, I was, I was about to say, against lefties, the Braves lineup is legitimately very, very good. Yeah, um, especially when you factor in Ozzy, like you said, Ozzy, and then you throw in Duvall, and the fact that Riley and Camargo are both better against lefties, it starts to get pretty good. Yeah, and it's just, again, it's a, tr- a tricky thing because they have a lot of these young guys, and ultimately you don't want to... I don't want to like come across as like you know the Braves need to have like three lefty bats on their bench or whatever because it's nice to be able to play those platoons but you know these right-handed hitters like the, you they do need to learn how to like hit same-handed pitching you know what I mean so like you know like platooning I, I don't want to say that like the roster is completely unsuited for it but just in the small sample size with some of these young guys they haven't handled like you know opposing righty these right-handed bats haven't handled opposing righties as well. Uh, or in the case of Ozzy and Camargo, it's just that their swings from the left side are just not nearly as good as they are from the right. So Yeah, and, and I think, obviously, I don't know, it's interesting to me. Camargo is a weird one. I've always been seen as a little bit lower on him than some. Um, I, I think you're hoping, beyond hope, that Austin Riley is good and playing every day, regardless, about who, yep. regardless of who's pitching. That is your ultimate hope, at least in my opinion, is that Riley looks the part and is playing every day, either at third or, or at DH somewhere. That makes some decisions a lot easier because then you can kind of play around with Camargo, have him play everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, Camargo actually got hurt on Saturday. Uh, there was nothing formal in the update from Snicker today, but uh, apparently they're hoping it's mild in terms of injury. He could avoid the IL, um, but if he's hurt, <laughs> it's even more interesting. Like maybe you have to have Culberson at that point in time if Camargo's on, if Camargo's on the IL, et cetera. But it's just interesting. There's lots of options for me. I said this on the last show, but I wonder if you agree with me now as a sort of a last point on this against righties. I think you have to use Acuna, Ozuna, and Ender. And against lefties, I think you have to use Acuna, Ozuna, and Duvall. And other than that, it's just like, play with it. And even then, like, obviously, if guys have a day off or if Ender is struggling or whatever, you can get creative. But I think coming into the year, those three guys on each side of the plate, obviously Acuna and, Acuna and Ozuna, every day regardless, that's kind of where I am in pen. And then the other spot can be flexible for me. I agree. Uh, I do worry sometimes, like, I feel like if Ender gets hot, that I wonder if they're going to try to run him out there against lefties. Oh, I mean, that, Duval, that wouldn't surprise with, me. <laughs> even with given, Duval given the manager. The and, you know, I hope that's not the case. I hope that with these expanded rosters, that everyone is on the same page, that you should use this added roster flexibility to turn it into lineup flexibility, which is particularly important when you play 20 straight days to start the season. I hope that that is what happens. I agree. I, I don't know how much hope I actually have of that happening, but I do think that you know the the Braves are should be able to take advantage of this. Even though I will say that their their roster depth has certainly taken a hit on on a couple fronts uh, with varying degrees of severity. You know, especially especially if Camargo's hurt. If Camargo misses time, then we're going to see some guys playing in the field that we weren't necessarily planning on seeing much this year. Yeah, I agree, and I think. Um, to round this out a little bit, you know, they might have to make a choice on who they carry on the roster. We'll get into a little bit of that later on in the show. 
But like there are options, whether it's Alonzo, whether it's Culberson, who, by the way, is not on the 40-man still, and the 40-man is full at this moment, uh, and they chose to add Alonzo before Culberson, which I thought was pretty noteworthy. I'm not sure it matters that much, but it, it might matter. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. They also have uh, Salarte is available in a round. They could carry a third catcher if they wanted to with Alex Jackson or even Contreras. Um, they could get creative with that last spot if they um, if they wanted to. But, uh, oh, by the way, the uh, the Pache train got derailed a little bit with a grade two ankle sprain, or at least a grade one and a half ankle sprain that he uh, that he actually, uh, I guess, suffered earlier this week. Snickers says he's going to be out for a while. I have no idea what that means, but um, he probably wasn't going to be an option early in the, in the season anyway, I thought. But if you were someone who was a Pache enthusiast to start the season, that's not going to happen now. Yeah, it sounded like earlier when Snitger was talking that, you know, it wasn't something that they thought was going to be a long-term thing, but he was definitely yeah. going need, to need some, some a few weeks. days. Yeah, you know, it's definitely at worst probably a couple of weeks. So, I mean, with a shortened season, that's certainly not nothing, but that kind of makes forces your hand in terms of what your depth is um, and who's on your on your 40-man roster too. So I think we're going to see some 40-man moves. There's certainly some guys that are on the 40-man that don't necessarily need to be on it. Um, and, you know, maybe make some, make some depth moves to kind of bolster your ranks a bit. But this kind of speaks to kind of how fragile all of this is. I mean, you have a few guys go, you know, a minor injury here and here and there combined with some guys who can't pass protocol. And all of a sudden, a lot of the depth that the Braves had been bolstering isn't around anymore. You know, we, we don't really talk about it all that much, but Will Smith was supposed to be one of the better relievers in that bullpen and he's not going to be around. Uh, he hasn't had a chance to play at all. So if that's the case, then all of a sudden, you know, you're one of your bigger free agent signings from this offseason isn't going to be ready for opening day. Yep. Cole Hamels isn't going to be Cole Hamels is now not going to be ready for opening day. You know, Freddie Freeman is kind of is dinged up. You tried to sell you tried to tried to sign Puig and that got nixed up. I mean, in the span of a week, you know, the Braves, I mean, it, it without being too alarmist, you know, their opening day roster, not for all of 2020, but just for opening day got significantly worse. Yeah. It really did, at least potentially. Uh, and um, if everything went right, and we'll talk about this in a second with Freddie, but um, yeah, there's. I agree. The roster is worse than it was a few days ago, um, at the very least. Uh, last question before we go to a break, and then we'll touch on Freeman and some roster stuff in the second half of the podcast. Um, if I, this is going to be an unfair question to you, but if we assume, and this is a bold assumption right now, but if we assume that Freddie and Camargo are healthy and are able to start the season, there is that one roster spot that was going to be Puig's roster spot. Who would you like to see them carry in that roster spot? Between Cole, basically the options are Culberson, Alonzo, maybe Solarte, and then maybe a third catcher. I think those are probably your only options. I know Michael Harris got added to the player pool, but I don't think that's going to happen. No, well, he they're not going to put they're not going to put a kid that young on the forty man yeah. roster. I mean, like, and this is this is coming from someone who loves. Michael. Same, same with Bryce Ball, by the way. I know we talked about him last podcast. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Ball makes more sense just because he's an older guy. But I mean, like, it's still not going to happen. <laughs> it's no. like, let's just let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. I just want to say all the options, um, all, all the guys on the on the player pool out loud, knowing full well that it probably unless something happens with a signing or a trade, it likely comes down to Culberson, Alonzo, Solarte, or a catcher. Yeah, un- un- unless Pache's like sprain is like super mild and he you know pops right back or something. And still, I I don't think even if I'm he not, was I'm healthy, not, not, they wouldn't do it. I don't think. Yeah. No, and I think it might make sense to. Okay, I, I'm gonna try to think. I, I'm not I'm not a fan of like of 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 carrying Solarte. Um, I think he's unlikely. I guess, he's, I, he's, I, not, I he's not. He's not. He's I think. It, I think it might be Contreras is what I would prefer. I think. So you'd prefer Contreras to Culberson or Alonzo? 
We're assuming Camargo is healthy, correct? We're assuming Camargo and Freddie are both on the opening day roster. Okay, then I would say it's Contreras because I think that there's a certain amount of overlap between what Camargo and Culberson do. If, if I I'm having agree. Um, I think I think for me, um, and if we assume that Flowers and Darno are healthy, and I think we have to assume that at this moment, um, I would go. Ugh, I think I would take Alonzo, um, but again, I I don't know as much about Alonzo as people in camp do. If Alonzo's just washed, then I'm going to look I'm going to look stupid here. But in terms of just profile of what the team needs right now, I would maybe want to have Alonzo as a left-handed DH option. I I also want to say I wouldn't hate Culberson necessarily either no, as kind either. Of one of those last because I mean that all that utility and like that 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 that's a real benefit particularly given the situation that we are all in like things can change very quickly and having a guy that you can throw out there and like it be reasonable. I mean, he, he's probably points. the safest choice. I mean, Culberson, yeah. they know, they know what he's going to be. We've obviously made some fun of the Culberson fan club, but he's not in, he's not an invaluable player. Like, he's someone who can provide value with his versatility. He's hit occasionally, um, especially in pitch hit roles. Like he can do some stuff for you. Do I think Ooh. he's absolutely like a lock to make the roster like someone, like someone want? No, um, but and by the way, it, it does worry. Some people are ready to hang his uniform number up and stroke. Well, that's park yeah, that's that's yeah. what I mean. I mean, for me, I thought it was kind of interesting again that he was not made that he that he was not added to the forty man and and Alonzo was like that doesn't really matter, but it actually could be a signal that maybe Culberson's not going to be around. I'm not sure about that. Um, and also there there was a school of thought that uh, with, when they had Puig because Culberson and Puig were friendly in Los Angeles, and by the way, Culberson gave like a pretty glowing quote about Puig before the injury. Um, before the COVID diagnosis came, um, maybe there was a, there was a thought that Culberson would be around to kind of be that bridge. I don't know. Culberson is a really interesting case because he's not on the 40 man, but we all know that he is beloved in that locker room. He does have versatility in terms of having some value. I agree with you that he's, um, sort of overlapping with Camargo, but it's not like he's a very, it's not like he's bad compared to Alonzo or Solarte or one of these third catchers. Like Culberson is a perfectly fine option if they, if they choose to go that route. Yep, I agree. And it's, again, it's a weird situation because, you know, some of the assumptions that we're making about players' health and availability. We don't know. Things we, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the name of the game on this podcast and really in life right now is that we don't know. Okay, Eric, much. we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back talk about Freddie, which is another I don't know subject, and uh, the roster, et cetera, et cetera. So hold on tight. All right, Eric, we're back. And uh, I know I asked you a question that assumed health for Freddie Freeman and Johan Camargo and elsewhere, but Freddie... Uh, is back in camp. That's a really good thing. There was some pessimism about him in terms of opening day availability as late as like Thursday, and then there was a pretty sharp change overnight. He tested negative on Thursday night, and then again on Friday, and was able to come back into camp on Friday. Um, he told the media that he had a fever that spiked to 104.5 degrees at one point about two weeks ago. He told the media that he prayed and said that he and and, and said, "quote Please don't take me." End quote. Uh, that's pretty scary, in my opinion. Um, he also lost the sense of taste and smell for four days. His wife, Chelsea, tested positive. Um, fortunately, you know, first and foremost, it's good that Freddie is feeling good and is healthy. Um, second of all, this is pretty scary stuff, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get into too much of this stuff, but the fact that Freddie Freeman, a 30-year-old prime athlete, can be that affected by COVID-19 is a pretty stark reminder. If anybody needed another reminder, this is pretty serious stuff. But uh, he's he's back in camp, which is a good thing. He's working out. And uh, by all indications, he could be ready to play on opening day. And Freddie, as we all know, likes to play. And I think if Freddie is even close to being ready, they're going to let him play. 
Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think that first and foremost uh, is the point that you made is that, you know, this virus can affect any type of person. Yes, there are those that are more at risk than others. But like when peak, like the peak of physical fitness, like Freddie Freeman and Von Miller talk about how sick they were, should be a stark reminder that to all of our listeners, please wear your damn masks because <laughs> that just because you don't think it will affect you, you could affect someone else. And it's just, this shouldn't be this hard to do, but apparently we need to like talk to everyone like their children because apparently they don't know how to take care of themselves and others. Um, and and yeah, Freddie like, Fre- Fre- said it too. And Freddie, Freddie is famously like we've, we've made fun of this. Freddie is someone who just is in the lineup every day, whether he's broken or not. That guy, that guy never yep. does. He never falls out of the lineup. He's, he's super durable, et cetera. And he, you know, he said it, Snit said it like they've all kind of made the mask point too. like, if you needed a reminder though, this is a pretty good one that the face of the franchise basically for the last half decade or more is, was again, had a 104.5 fever. That's an uncred- That's sort of a ridiculous amount. And I, I know he bounced back relatively quickly, but this is someone who couldn't get out of bed. Basically, um, that's not normal for someone like Freddie Freeman. So I don't know. I just want to make sure we touched on the fact that he was very, very sick. I know Tukey um, and Will Smith were not, and that's that's good too. We, we don't want any of these guys to be sick. But um, a, it's good that Freddie's back, and b, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty scary for me. Yeah, I mean, he was talking about too that he was. You know, they were thinking about taking him to the hospital and that he was afraid to go to sleep. And, you know, the, that 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 is pretty scary on a number of levels. And obviously that's kind of like the, the broader health message that I think is the most important thing. But more importantly, like I wonder, like how someone can physically recover in time for opening day from an ordeal like that. Now, obviously, pretty, you know, pretty surprising. For, yeah, for the last week or so, I think he's just been working out of his house and he's basically just been waiting for two negative tests uh, and been feeling really good you know, or feeling significantly better. So hopefully, again, you know, like, I don't want to draw too many conclusions because this thing does affect everyone differently, but it's kind of wild that, you know, he's even going to have, be physically close to 100%, be, you know, before opening day, considering how close it is. And then you start thinking about all these other guys who have tested positive and things like that. But obviously it's great news that Freddie was back on the field. Uh, I did think it was kind of funny that, like, he literally, like, the, the the second that he got his test, test result, he was basically like packing his car and going to the park <laughs> so that he can get to to like get all of his like last the final like you know to do his cardiogram and you know the actual physical physical just to double check and make sure before and then like sprinting to the field so he could start working out. Um, it seemed and I think a lot of that pessimism was that they just hadn't been able to get those negative tests and right. if they had to wait if they've had to, if they had, had gone another day or two they would they would have had to accept the fact that he was not going to be ready in time. They said um, that too. I mean, it was basically yeah. coming down to like that day, maybe one more day. And if he wasn't in camp, opening day was not going to happen. I mean, this is not anybody's fault, but some of the reporting, even the night before on Thursday, was like, Freddie's unlikely to be playing an opening day. And then like 12 hours later, it was like, all right, he's now probable. It's like, oh, okay. Um, and that's because he was around. And again, Freddie always wants to play and he has, he has juice in the organization, et cetera. But it helps that he's a position player too. Like, pitcher, if he's a pitcher, there's no way he's pitching. Um, but because it's basically. He's playing first base. Can can he hit? And he's taking like six like six play appearances a day right now, trying to get ready to go. I think all indications are he's going to start on uh, on Friday, and it, that could change. Obviously, I don't want to put anything firm on this because of what he just came off of and what he's recovering from. But based on the message in the last three four days now that says he's been back, um, it seems like he's going to play, um, and that's that's a good thing. I, I hope he's healthy. That's the most important thing in the world in terms of all this stuff, not baseball. But uh, provided he is feeling all right, it's obviously a big help to the Braves. Yeah, I I agree, and you know, again, I I I certainly think that 
you know, given that he's passed all the, the protocols and stuff like that, I'm not. I wouldn't say I, I would say I'm super worried about Freddie Moore. Just kind of like he no. that he's he's probably the, the one guy I'm going to keep an eye on early to kind of seeing how he's looking and feeling because if for no other reason that he's going to be kind of a case study as to kind of how because we're going to have more players test positive during the season yeah. and kind of ha- the, how that recovery goes is going to be something that's going to be watched by a lot of people. For sure, and uh, yeah, we talked about it before. If he, for some reason, couldn't play, they might go to the Andre Alonso, et cetera. Could be Austin Riley at first, but uh, for now, I think we're going to kind of assume he's going to be there. And if if it changes, we'll touch on that on our uh, on our last preseason podcast uh, midweek coming up. Um, as a reminder, by the way, as we transition here to uh, sort of our last full segment, um, there's a 30 man roster to open the season. Um, that from there, every two weeks it goes it goes down to 28. And then ultimately down to 26. They could carry as many as 17 pitchers at the start of the season because of the uh, MLB's awareness that baseball that pitchers can't go as long as they normally would. Uh, you might see more piggybacking, um, but there is a cap later on when they cut the roster down to 26. You can't have more than 13 pitchers, um, even if you might be tempted to because of the DH. Uh, 13 is the most you can carry on the roster, so keep that in mind. And by the way, there is a roster projection that's fresh on TalkingChop.com done by fearless leader Chris Willis that went up on uh, Sunday afternoon. The big boss man. Um, he went with 16 pitchers. That's probably what I would project, but it could be 17 as well. I'll keep that in mind. And we'll, I want to kind of go through this a little bit with you and uh, t- touch on some small factors and some battles that are, still, that are still taking place as we talk here on Sunday night. Um, first, the rotation. We know the top four. Uh, in order, we know Soroka's op- Soroka on opening day and then, fr- and then uh, Freed on Saturday. Then it's going to be Fulte and Sean Newcomb in some order, three and four. And then the fifth starter spot is open. At one point, there was a, there was a report from Mark Bowman saying Kyle Wright was the favorite. Uh, Josh Tomlin is also in the mix. He's now added to the 40-man as well. You still have Bryce Wilson. Bowman also mentioned Tucker Davidson, which kind of surprised me, but maybe it didn't surprise you. So let's stop there. Uh, we obviously knew the four starting pitchers, but um, any thoughts on the swing slash fifth starter battle? Because all those guys are going to be on the team, I'm pretty sure, because there is that uh, ability to piggyback in the early going. But uh, do you care who starts uh the fifth game of the season or does it not even really matter to you i'd like right to get the start because i just want to see kind of how long he can go into a game and kind of see what he looks like but i think we're going to see a good bit of piggybacking so like you know like even guys like tukey who are you know who's around now you know weigel just other relievers obviously tomlin got added to the 40-man roster the same day that yalonzo did you know those are all guys that are, seem to be pretty good candidates for piggybacking. Same thing for Newcomb. I don't think he's necessarily a lock to quote-unquote start a game, but I think he's a guy that's going to try to go multiple innings whenever he is in a game. Um, Tucker Davidson, he's already on the 40-man roster. Uh, he's definitely a guy that I think the Braves want to know what they've got in him. And, you know, Bryce Wilson, we're, hopefully he looks a little better. He, he seems like he makes small improvements here and there, but it's just those secondaries is whether or not they're going to be good enough. And maybe in this type of role where he has to go just, you know, two or three innings just one time through a lineup that that might suit him well too. So, you know, maybe in the early going, they're just going to kind of see who sticks and who doesn't um, kind of, you know, give everyone, you know, three, three inning tryouts just to kind of see how, how it goes. And then they can kind of set their rotation from there. Obviously, Sol- Soroka, Fulte and Freed, those three guys for, I mean, they're, they've got spots. They're going to be starters, but beyond that, I mean, I think a lot of it's fluid. I agree. I, I do think that based on what we're hearing from the beat guys, that Newcomb probably is going to be the four starter. But I agree with you. Like, there's not a whole lot of, 
you know, who starts doesn't necessarily matter when they're only going to pitch three innings or whatever it's going to be, three, right. four innings. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, even Snitter, Snicker even talked about maybe even, maybe using the opener, which I was, like, stunned by. I was like, wow, Snicker. I'll believe that when I see it. I, I agree with you. That. I agree with you on that. But he mentioned it. Like, he, did, he didn't close the door on it. Um so that's uh, it's gonna be pretty weird early on. So keep that in mind with 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 a thirty man roster, especially carrying sixteen or seventeen pitchers. There's gonna be a lot of weirdness. It's not gonna look normal necessarily. Even with guys like Soroka and Freed, they might only go five innings, even even if they have it going. Like that's not gonna be a surprise to me in their first start if they're not throwing you know hundred pitches. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But that's kind of the uh, the broad strokes of what those guys are gonna look like. And then you go to the bullpen. We know who the locks are. Uh, obviously, Mark Melanson, uh, Shane Green. You got Martin. You got Jackson. You got O'Day. Those guys are locks if they're healthy. Uh, obviously, Will Smith is a lock if he is healthy, but he is not healthy at this point in time. Well, he's not available to pitch. He's he's asymptomatic, but as you said, um, not going to be in camp yet. He is throwing at home, so maybe he'll be a little bit closer. He is a reliever. There isn't so much of a stretch out process for him, but right now, I'm assuming he won't be on the opening day roster. That could change. But that's something to keep an eye on. But there are those five locks, I think, plus Smith. Smith becomes six if he's when he's when he's ready. And then you have all the other guys. So you have Jacob Webb, you have Patrick Weigel, who you mentioned, you have Tuki, who you mentioned. Uh, lefty wise, it really is only AJ Minter that I am seeing in terms of like projections. That's what Chris had. That's what Bowman had as kind of the only lefty in the bullpen, uh, provided that Newcomb is starting. Um, it's because apparently no one's been blown away by Grant Dayton or Madsik or Rusin. Like, none of those guys are blowing anybody away. Um, does that surprise you, A? And is there anybody else that we should be thinking about for a bullpen spot that we have not talked about already? Uh, it's not doesn't surprise me because Chris Martin's the guy that has reverse pl- uh, platoon splits, yep. too. Worth so, like, so, in terms of, you know, thinking about it in those terms, who you'd be using against a bunch of lefties, uh, he's kind of a guy that would be real right at the top of the list. Also, the batter and, minimum matters too. The three batter minimum is the thing. Yeah, no. Absolutely, you know, and so you can like having those lefty specialists. We already kind of projected that that wasn't going to be something that was going to be happening quite as much. Um, beyond that, I think we've kind of covered all the major names. Obviously, there's like going to be like guys that pop up here and there, uh, and you know who's actually like confirmed healthy and is going to be around. Uh, I don't necessarily like I, again guys like Matzik and Rusin and Dayton. I mean, those are kind of those are the depth arms that they signed to begin with, and you know, obviously they're on the in the player pool. But we're also of a lot of these bullpen guys. There's several guys that you could, you know, see getting cut, and you wouldn't blink about it. You know what I mean? Oh, for um, sure. I mean, if, if, by the way, the 16 that Chris projects, I think I agree with. And the question is, do they carry a 17th? Because the 16, just real quickly, are the four starters. Then you have the three long guys that could be starters with Tomlin, Wilson, and Wright. That's seven. Um, then you go to Melanson, Green, Martin, Jackson, O'Day. That's 12. And then Jacob Webb, A.J. Minter, Patrick Weigel, and Tukey. That is 16. Again, that does not include Hamels. That does not include Smith. And if either one of them are added, you have to take somebody off. But considering what we assume right now, that's the 16 that I would be choosing. Um, would you carry those 16, or do you care if it's 17? Like, I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me all that much. But you can take 17, so they might be tempted to do that because... Eventually, you got to get down to 13, and that becomes almost more difficult. And I think at some point, they're going to have to not have Tomlin, Wilson, and Wright on the roster, probably. I think they're going to have to probably choose two of those guys, for instance, um, once they get into the regular 26-band roster. But for now, depth is a, uh, a luxury, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm actually fine with starting with 16, uh, and I think that Chris got the right 16. Um, yep. Once once Hamels and Smith kind of come back into come back into the mix, then there, there's it seems to be some – 
there are going to be some logical choices that need to make. Like, for example, does Newcomb hang on to that spot? Uh, does Wright hang on to that spot? You know, whoever you know, Hamels is coming in for. And there's going to be plenty of relief arms that can, you know, be changed out for Smith uh, that are kind of in this mix for, you know, the the non-closers that are making lots of money category. Yeah, ba- uh, basically your, your, your tier of Webb, Mentor, Weigel, and Tukey, one of those guys will get out of the way for Will Smith. Yeah. If not, if not po- more than po- one of those guys. And possibly O'Day, too, for that matter. I don't think Maybe. Jackson, Jackson Martin... Jackson and Martin have been good enough that I don't see they're going to be having any issues. And Green and Melanson are making too much money, so they'd have to like be like. I mean, O'Day's not cheap either, man. That's the thing. <laughs> well, that's that's true. I did forget about that one, but I, yeah. I I think that the one that's most likely, if you're going to eat money, and also might not be good enough. If he's I, bad, I, yeah, but he was yeah, actually I, he looked he looked all right early. I mean, last year when he came back after yeah. that eternal break, yeah. he actually looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but the he is year, old. The three year IL he was on, yeah, or whatever but he it was. but he is kind of old. So like, there is some potential always with a guy that age to fall off the cliff. Um, but yeah, I think really those it's there's kind of a six man group if you include Smith that I am widely going to assume they're going to be on the team and pitching in the bullpen unless they are hurt or just so terrible. And then maybe you choose one or two more, and that'll be what the bullpen is when they have to go to twenty six. So we'll see what happens. But and I, I don't necessarily think that carrying the extra pitcher is as big a deal because they have all. I mean, in addition to like the guys we talked about for that starter spot, I mean, it's not like Weigel and Tukey can't go longer innings too, or right. even put be put in their starter. So like, it seems like they don't. They don't. They're they are a team with so many starting pitching prospects that are like currently in relief roles that I, I think that they're a team that might not necessarily have to take. They, they are still taking advantage of plenty of depth while not having to carry a 17th pitcher. Right. They're going to carry 16 guys, and basically nine of them are capable of going two or three innings. Like, all four starters plus all three long guys slash yep. starters, and then and then you mentioned uh, Weigel and Tukey. That, that's more than enough, I think, to get you through the first two weeks of the season, and then you can reevaluate from there, uh, or if there's any injuries, etc. Um any final thoughts on the roster? Obviously, we'll wait, and if the, if the roster is finalized when we talk next, we'll talk about it. But I think it's pretty pretty easy to see what's going to happen. There, there's one or two decisions to be made between now and Friday. Um, if we cross our fingers and say no more injuries, um, if if there are more injuries, it gets even more difficult. Like Camargo is a pretty interesting one if that swings the wrong way. But uh, I think it's kind of straight ahead, and then you kind of have one or two battles that are still out there the last three four days. It is straight. It is straightforward. Assuming that all the information that we are assuming <laughs> is true is true. Yes. yes, but but I mean again, something that could change very quickly. You know, like one positive test or one rolled ankle, and all of a sudden we have you know a situation on our hands. So, very you know, true. And, again, and then you know you, you talk about, just talk about some of like these infield options too. I mean, you still get, you know guys like Echeverria and you know guys like that. Just kind of what roles they're going to play. It's just there's he's going to be there. Kind of, I'm yeah, pretty he, confident. He, he, Oh well, I mean, yeah, they found out what happens when you don't have a backup shortstop last year. Well, that's uh, what, and that's the reason why we haven't even talked about him like not being not being an option because I think it's just it it will stun everyone if they do not carry Hechevaria because he's the backup shortstop and uh, you want one of those. I know Ozzy could play there, but you know you I think you ideally want a backup shortstop and they they figured that out and they're going to want to do that. Plus, he actually hit last year when he was up with the Braves, so I wouldn't bank on I wouldn't bank on that. Strong backflip game too. Strong. Yeah, he's fun. I've always enjoyed him. Uh, okay, last thing is not like explicitly Braves related, but there is some MLB fallout here, and the Braves do play this team. Uh, in the last couple of days, word broke that the Toronto Blue Jays are not going to be allowed to play in Toronto 
by the by the Canadian government. Um, they had a waiver that was uh, declined, basically, um, and they're not allowed to play in Toronto. So we don't know a whole lot about where they're going to be going. Like I know people talked about Buffalo because there's always a relationship there, and they're pretty that's pretty close to Toronto. Um, I heard Charlotte. I heard Nashville. I've heard other places mentioned. We have no idea where they're going to play, but the Braves do not actually have to go visit the Blue Jays on the schedule. The Blue Jays come to Atlanta in early August, but there's no return trip because of the uh, limited schedule. So keep that in mind. The Braves were not supposed to go to Toronto, but everybody else in the NL East, um, I know two or three of those teams are supposed to go to Toronto. Obviously, travel changes have to happen. Uh, I thought it was just interesting, interesting to bring up because this is kind of weird and it's good. It's a good indicator of how bizarre the season is. And uh, just for some background, Canada's uh, COVID-19, COVID-19 situation is so much better than America's, which seems to be the reason why they've de- declined this. Um, I can't really blame them because they've handled it a lot better than we have as a country. But uh, I don't know. It's just weird. Like maybe the Blue Jays are playing in Charlotte in a couple of, in, in like three or four days from now. It's just it's so crazy because there's just no lag time here. They, they open the season this week. Yeah, getting the approval is going to be the trickiest part. And, you know, when you're th- thinking about like Buffalo kind of makes a lot of sense, but that's also one of the state's in the United States that is like really trying to make sure that they're trying to suppress all outbreaks and things like that. So getting approval from, you know, like governor Cuomo and making and making that happen on short notice, getting your whole, all your facilities, your basically your home field facilities moved into a minor league facility in let's say five days. Well, you yeah, know, the only break that they get here, they, they do have the advantage of not playing a home game on the schedule until July 29th. They open with five on the road, which in this case is very beneficial, I think, to the Blue Jays. But Agreed. you still have to have operations. Like, you can't... And you have to move them across the border that's closed right now. That's what I mean. Like, obviously, they're going to they're get some leeway, I think, from the government in moving their operations across the border because they know that they're not going to be coming back for a while. But, you know, it's not just the team. The team is what's going to get all the attention, and where, and where they play is going to be of interesting value to discuss for people like us. But having to move an organization outside outside a country uh, for the next several months is pretty interesting in a lot of ways. And uh, I don't know. I just want to make sure we mentioned it because it's just such a bizarre situation. The Braves don't go there, so we probably won't talk about it again after this on the podcast. But that was some craziness. Um, in addition to like all the testing stuff that we talked about on the podcast, this is the first time a non-test thing has been brought up by us that's not that's not Braves related because I think it was just such a situation that we just haven't seen before and they have a week to move their entire franchise across the board absolutely uh, I'm actually going to name one other thing that, is, that isn't Braves related uh oh at least 11 umpires have opted out of the 20 oh yeah I saw that yeah and now now one of them is old friend Sam Holbrook so I'm certain a lot of Braves fans are going to be happy about that but, but the I mean, numbers are weird now. They don't have. They're not. That's like a large percentage of the umpiring task force, basically. There's there there are 76 umpires and at least 11. Uh, that's of them. a lot. And there's at, uh, I think Brian Onora and Bruce Streckman, I think are still undecided. So you could have even more opt out. I mean, talking about a guy, a lot of guys who are at risk, and then you have the Joe Wests of the world who are very at risk, and then they're gonna you know put on a cowboy hat and just decide that everything's gonna be fine but but i mean and we're talking about a lot of like really well credentialed like really well like highly tenured umpires you know like mike mike winders field and colbreth you know koozie's out um kerwin danley's go, is opting out jerry davis these are all guys who have umpired a lot things could get really dicey in terms of some of how this umpiring happens particularly some of these new guys are gonna have to bring in to get the work done yeah, that's uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because it is pretty interesting. 
eventually you just run out of empires, which yep. I hope that doesn't happen. But when you assume that, you know, there's 15 games a day, you got to have enough umpires to fill 15 games. And if you start taking guys away, then nobody has off days anymore. And guys are working every day for months. Um, it's tough. So yeah, there's no flexibility when you lose, you know, one seventh of your workforce. Uh, yeah, it's something that we should probably talk about. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Baseball is supposed to happen Thursday night. Uh, the counts, obviously there's, there's scrimmages happening now, exhibitions, like teams are playing other teams as of last night for the first time. The Braves don't, the Braves play what Tuesday for the first time they play the Marlins. Um, stuff's happening. Are you feeling okay? I mean, I know baseball isn't the most important thing, but it's happening. We're glad it's happening. I, uh, continue to have my fingers crossed, but how are you feeling about this whole uh, endeavor? I have missed baseball terribly on a number of levels and that when there's games that are actually happening, just a bit of a distraction, a bit of comfort, I think is going to be good. Uh, I am scared to death for the players and the staffs that are having to travel. I mean, they're having to travel all over the country. There's places in this, you know, there's places in the country right now that I have no interest at all to traveling in for a while. And these guys are going to have to fly into the teeth of them and try to, you know, play a game to entertain a lot of us. Um, you know, I, it's it's certainly a lot of mixed feelings, but make no mistake is that you know I've looked I look forward to baseball each and every year. This year is no different, and in a lot of ways, I hope that. I hope that all of the caution and all of the, you know, the skepticism ends up being for naught, that we don't have to deal with any issues with the COVID-19, that there aren't any problems, and we get to just enjoy b- baseball being back, even if it's a, an abbreviated season. I will thoroughly enjoy myself, but I am probably going to be worried until the final out of the World Series happens, because I could see this shutting down again. I could see multiple shutting down, shutdowns happening I could see teams having outbreaks, and those things are just frankly scary. Agreed. We'll uh, be hopeful this is all going to work. Uh, the Braves are supposed to open again on uh, on Friday. We'll see if that happens. We hope we hope that it will. I think it's likely at this point that it happens, based on how far they've gotten so far. But yeah, we will I, see. I, th- I think we. I think opening day is. We. I think it's safe to say that I'm pretty sure opening day is going to happen. After that, all <laughs> yeah. After that, off. who knows? Uh, all right. Well, Eric, thank you for joining me on the pod today. We are planning to do another episode like that has our final predictions. Maybe even all three of us, if we can pull it off uh, midweek, somewhere along there. But regardless, I will at least have predictions from all three of us that I will share for someone if they're not here. Um, but yeah, we're planning to do one more before the start of the season, and then we'll get back into our uh, regular groove. Uh, the Braves play this weekend, so it's coming fast. Please subscribe to the show. That's a huge thing for us. If you uh, enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend as well. Leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the pod. Uh, follow Eric at Leprechaun on Twitter if you uh, if you dare to do so. Follow the uh, follow the show and the site on Twitter at Talking Chop. Read the site. Uh, Eric, have anything else to plug? Because I know uh, you know there's things that are being written. I don't know. I haven't written anything, but you might have. Uh, yeah, we're doing uh, player pool profiles on each player. Like we're not, you're not going to read profiles on Ozzy Albies and Freddie Freeman. If you don't know what those guys are about by now, then uh, we can't help you because uh, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, but we, are, but we are profiling a lot of the lesser known guys, whether it be the prospects that are on in the player pool or uh, kind of the journeyman types, the 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 depth pieces. We're writing up profiles. Those should. Uh, be all rolled out by the end of the week so those are coming and we've been rolling those out uh, every day for last week or so yep. uh, at least a couple of those a day so uh, you know, something to kind of get you caught up on what's going on with the Braves uh, and um, yeah that's pretty much all we got going on at the moment we're still kind of 
figuring out how we're going to go about doing things as the season kind of gets rolling. But, you know, for the moment, that's kind of our big project. There you go. Read those. Again, follow Eric, follow the site, subscribe, and we'll see everybody in just a few days when baseball is upon us. 